Hello and welcome back to Highway to Hoover, a production of SEC Extra over at D1Baseball.com. I'm your host, Joe Healy, joined as always by my co-host, Mark Etheridge. And for about a week in Hoover, my seatmate in, yeah. in, uh, in Hoover, we, we sat right next to each other for, oh gosh, not all 17 games, but more than a dozen yeah. uh, together, and uh, a lot of bad jokes tossed around. A lot of uh, a lot of diet Dr Pepper down from the uh, shout out to the fountain soda machine in the press box in Hoover <laughs> Met. The diet Dr Pepper was going down easy all week, um, but yes, good time in in uh, in Hoover. Also, I should mention relatedly. Uh, thank you, as always, to Brock's Gap Brewing Company for being the presenting sponsor of the Highway to Hoover podcast. Uh, each and every week we had our live show there on the 22nd the monday before the sec tournament went fabulously i think uh, i think that's safe to say really enjoyed getting to meet some of you guys looking forward to doing that again next year uh, i think i told jamie cato the owner of the place that hey as long as you'll have us we'll come back and do this because we had a lot of fun it, it was great to kind of set the table for the sec tournament so i enjoyed um you know i i enjoyed every bit of that so looking forward to doing it again next year. Uh, Mark, quickly, before we talk about regionals, and, and I know uh, listeners are more interested in the regional side of things now because that's what's ahead of us, so we will get to that in short order. But first, I thought it was worthwhile to kind of look back at the SEC tournament that was. Just quickly, do you have any sort of stray thoughts or conclusions you came away with from the week in Hoover? Yeah, I mean, it was Texas a and I, I, They came into the tournament just kind of you know, kind of bubblish. We felt like they were they were going to get in unless there was just absolute chaos. And they came in. You know, I thought I thought they would lose to Tennessee, and it just didn't happen. Uh, they continued to win games and ended up in the freaking finals. Man, they pitched well. They had what two one hitters. Uh, it was just a, a whole different different team. And if this is the team that we see moving forward, uh, they can make it to Omaha. I mean, that, that's how good they, they looked in Hoover. I am curious to see. I mean, it's a big ballpark. It plays, plays big. There were a lot of balls hit to the wall in pretty much every game. How that, you know, was, was that something that, that really benefited A&M more than others? I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out why they struggled so much on the mound during the season and then turned it around and they pitched as well as anybody this weekend. And so, so that was one thing. And I guess the second was Vandy uh, without Carter Holton. And it looks like he's going to be out again for regionals. Um, and, and really Hunter Owen gave him what, three innings. They just showed the depth of the staff, the, the, the offense, the clutch hits, the, the, the defense, they just, they were a complete team. And as a result, that, that's how they, they took down the, took down the crown. Yeah, it's that. That's great. Um, uh, that's a great point about Vanderbilt. It's something I hadn't totally internalized as it was happening. I mean, I knew obviously Carter Holton was out, but just the idea mm-hmm. that they didn't get much from Hunter Owen either. Mm-hmm. In the big picture, and I was talking to to Aria Gerson, the beat writer for for Vanderbilt for the Tennessean on Sunday during the final, that you know Vanderbilt won the title really without doing anything on the mound that felt like it was pushing someone's limits. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't. They didn't bring back a guy um, on sh- super short rest. They didn't, you know, yeah. com- have a reliever throw a combined 120 pitches over three appearances or, or something like that. So it felt like it was pretty comfortable on the mound for them. So that's always good news because 
you know, we hear it all week and we talked about this going into the week, but one of the overarching themes of the SEC tournament and one of the reasons why there are maybe detractors is not the right word, but there are folks who are kind of just shrug their shoulders at the SEC tournament is there's this entire overarching theme of the event, which is, well, you know, we want to win, but not at all costs, you know, and that's fair. That's not a criticism. That's just a reality. And so Mm -hmm. the fact that Vanderbilt was able to win the thing and not have to do anything that I took, that I think took them out of their comfort zone on the mound um, is really, really impressive. So uh, kudos to them. One of, I think I'll remember the gate, the single game I'll remember the most was the Florida Alabama game on Wednesday Yeah. after, you know, Alabama beats Kentucky to advance to the main bracket. And then they play, they play Florida and the atmosphere was electric. Uh, It was about as full as it could possibly be in the Hoover Met. Alabama gets a huge hit late from Tommy Seidel and you think, ah, there it is. You know, uh, that's the breakthrough hit. Alabama's up three and then Florida scores four in the bottom half, including a walk-off three-run homer from BT Riopel. But that's going to be the image I think that's that's most burned into my brain. Mm Mm-hmm from uh, what was my first SEC tournament. So that, you know, it's funny how some, a lot of times that what, what a tournament will be remembered by isn't necessarily just the team that, that wins it. Sometimes that's the case, but not, not always, obviously. And, and I wrote this in my column. And if you haven't read it, head over to d1baseball.com and SEC extra to read it. You know, if this tournament does eventually move to a, 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 a domed venue, whether that's Globe Life Field, which looks like the leader in the clubhouse, if that happens or somewhere else, that's, going to that that atmosphere is going to be lost and not just because alabama and florida fans will have longer to drive all that's that's part of it but it's just that look in a 40 plus thousand seat stadium ten thousand folks is kind of a drop in the bucket especially when that stadium is as big as globe life field because it's not just that they have forty thousand seats there's like a lot of standing room in the outfield and the concourses are super wide and so the sound just really gets swallowed up in there ask anyone who's covered the big 12 tournament and i have there are good crowds, seven, eight thousand people, ten thousand people for games involving Texas and you know TCU and Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, and but it just doesn't feel like much in that stadium. So yeah. that, I think that you know that's that's why I wrote that. There's really not an easy answer because I also understand, even though the weather this week was great outside of a little rain delay on Tuesday, um, I understand that's not the norm, <laughs> and uh-huh. and so I understand why they would want to move the thing. But man. You know, games like that are just a great advertisement for why this event, for all of its faults, does work in Hoover. Yeah, uh, it, that's well said. I, I do think that the, the the other thing that people forget is just the the ballpark itself, the where it's located. There's plenty of parking. Uh, that is an issue. If you've been to some of these downtown stadiums, um, that they often get listed as potential, you know. Uh, venues for the SEC tournament, there's no parking. And there's certainly not, you know, all the press area and other things, you know, that you need to put on a tournament of this size. Uh, most minor league ballparks have a little tiny press box that fits, I don't know, eight to 10 people. Um, you're going to have, you're going to have, what, eight, 10 times that many. So it's, it, it's, it's challenging <laughs> uh, to, to try to put on an event like that. From a fan perspective, maybe, Maybe you're okay with with moving it. Um, I do think that there's a possibility that it could move somewhere maybe as, as a novelty. Maybe you, you put it somewhere else for a year and just kind of see see what you like, what you don't like. But um, Hoover does such a great job with it. I mean, you have volunteers 
who take time out of their work schedule every year, take vacation time to come work the SEC tournament. I mean, when you have that institutional, you know, history and traditions of, of doing that, that's tough to replicate, especially for, you know, for, for an event that's not annual. So anyway, it, it was a great week. Um, one of the best weeks I've had covering baseball in a long time. It, it was a lot of fun and, and we, uh, we saw some really good baseball too. No doubt. Yes. A lot of it does end up running all together, but there, there were definitely a lot, a lot of highlights. I had a great time. I was, because the weather was so good and it was my first time at the event, I was told all week that I'm welcome to come back anytime. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'll see you next year when the weather just based on odds will be apocalyptically bad. Right. Um, it'll be, you know, raining some days and then it'll be, you know, 97 degrees and the most humid place you've ever seen in your life. Uh, the next day, I, I am sure based on how much good, uh, good luck we had with the weather this week. Yeah. Okay, Mark, let's move on to regionals. I know that's that's kind of what people are most interested in. Uh, at this stage, we're, we're recording this the Tuesday leading up to regionals. And to kind of make sure we, we talk about everybody, I know it's not necessarily the, the best format for, for podcasting, but we are going to go through every regional that involves an SEC club um, and kind of just talk about the potential matchups, talk about what we're looking for. Mark and I will both kind of give a quick answer, hopefully, on um, – what stands out about that regional, obviously most likely from the SEC team's perspective. So uh, I have my bracket pulled up here, uh, another tab. So we'll work our way through it. And we will work our way down numerically. Uh, well, no, that's a lie. We'll actually move by the pairings because then Joe doesn't have to scroll back and forth on the bracket. So you know, one is paired with 16, two is paired. So we'll do it that way. That makes it easier for Mark and I to, uh, to follow along as opposed to having uh-huh. to scroll up and down on the bracket. So obviously the number one overall seeds Wake Forest, no SEC club there. Uh, that is a wipe of the brow for Tennessee and Texas A&M, who were the only real teams that was a, were a possibility to go there. Um, so you know that that that's good. They don't get paired with the from from an SEC perspective that they don't get paired with with that juggernaut out there. But the number two seed uh, overall is Florida. They've got uh, UConn, Texas Tech, Florida A&M. I guess my quick thing on this one, Mark, is that. Those are pedigreed brands, UConn and Texas Tech. Those are two clubs mm-hmm. that are in to Gainesville and expect to win games. So that that obviously makes it a little bit tough. That being said, um, I'm not sure how much UConn has on the mound. Let's say UConn advances to a winner's bracket game against Florida. I'm not sure how if they have enough on the mound to really slow down a Florida offense as good yeah. as that. And with Texas Tech, they just don't they don't play as well away from home that's kind of always been the case with them and part of that is because they play exceptionally well in Lubbock but Mm -hmm. that's a factor here as well they've not really Texas Tech has not been a team in the rare instance they've gone on the road for a regional typically doesn't fare well in those road regionals so that does work in their favor but ultimately Florida probably not super thrilled to see two teams with as much postseason experience as those two yeah it's it's not it's not one of the easier regionals in my opinion I do think that Florida, because of their offense, that they should be able to to just kind of win it, um, kind of bludgeon their way through it. And and they may have to. You know, it just depends on which version of their starters show up. They've had weeks where, you know, Sprout, Waldrop, and, and, and Caglione are, are all great, and they've had weeks where they're, you know, they're just okay. And then occasionally, you know, like with, with, with Sprout's had a couple games and, and Cags has had a – a few games where they just go, don't go deep at all. And the concern for me for Florida is if you have one of those games and you're really going to have to use a lot of bullpen 
you know, to in, in an internment format, that's, you know, that's not ideal. So that would be the only concern. So the thing to look for here would be Florida getting deep starts and the offense doing what it's been doing of late, not running into some kind of slump. That regional is paired with the 15th seeded South Carolina. So we could have an, an SEC East super regional in Gainesville if the chalk holds there. They are paired with Campbell, NC State, and Central Connecticut State. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Northeastern four seeds tend to kind of be looked at askance, if you will. However, Central Connecticut State at this point um, just is a machine in that conference. They're kind of the new Bryant in the in the NEC, if you will. They've really benefited from Bryant leaving the league, frankly. Um, and they won a game in Fayetteville a couple of years ago. I, th- I believe that was 20, 20, 2021 or 2019. I forget which, but CCSU has won games in, in regionals before. Uh, so they, they will be game at, at the very least. The most interesting team here for me is Campbell. Uh, the first question is what game – do they use Cade Keeler against NC State? I would think so, mm-hmm. just because you can't bet on beating an ACC team, although Campbell has done plenty of that this year and forever, it seems like. So you might get lucky if you're South Carolina not have to deal with Cade Keeler. doesn't necessarily make it easier against Campbell. I mean, they're – their offense is really, really good as well. They know who they are offensively. I really, I mentioned that in the fall. I did, I did Campbell's fall report. Um, it's just a really good deep offense. And oh, by the way, they've got pro arms beyond Kate Keeler. Now, none of them are as good as Kate Keeler, but it's pro arms. Like you're, you're not going to see 87 mile an hour stock right-handers coming in for Campbell just because you got past Kate Keeler. So, mm-hmm. and, and Campbell typically plays pretty well in regionals. Like they're, they're, they're game. Like they usually come to play and come to win. So that's not easy for South Carolina. South Carolina is going to have to play better than it has really the last month or five weeks or whatever it's been in order to win this regional. Yeah. I think this is going to be one of those regionals where more people pick Campbell than pick South Carolina, even though South Carolina's the host. They've been getting a black eye a little bit, and some of that's come from us about how they finished the year. So this is an opportunity to quiet the critics. I mean, you, you got the host when a lot of people thought you you wouldn't, and you're going to have to do it against a really good team because Campbell has a, you know, one of those RPI, what was it, 14 is where it ended up. So they had a great case to host. Um, I, I think the other thing to point out with Campbell uh, versus the field, they're 11 and five. That's a really strong mark. So they beat East Carolina three times. So, I, you know, they're going to come in confident and feeling that, that they can compete on this big stage. Uh, for South Carolina, it, hopefully Sanders is able to give you something. He returns on the mound. Eli Jones has been good in, in, in his spots. But, you know, you, you'd like to have your, you know, your full, full arsenal available, you know, in a regional. So the other, the other thing I'll point out here is South Carolina's they were so good offensively early in the year and they, they kind of fighting it a little bit down the stretch. And I, I think uh, you get a reset, you go home, you, you're not playing games for a little bit. You come back out in a big environment. Uh, this is a chance for South Carolina to, to kind of right the ship. And that, that happens both offensively and on the mound. Cause the, you know, the, they're, they're a shell of where they were at their best, but honestly, they don't have to be back that, to that level because they were just so much – they were one of the best teams in the country. They've just got to start trending in the right direction, get some momentum. If they do that, they'll win this regional. As we move down the bracket, the the 
the uh, regional hosted by Coastal Carolina, no SEC clubs there. On the left side of the bracket, Miami um, hosting that side. Texas, future SEC member, Mm -hmm. uh, not currently, however, so we continue to scroll down. On the right side of the bracket, Charlottesville regional hosted by Virginia. That one strikes me as being kind of fun, just as an aside, no SEC club there, but East Carolina, Oklahoma, and then Army, uh, which you don't have to tell. Just ask NC State about how tough Army can be in a regional. Uh, left side of the bracket, we're moving down to the number eight overall seed in Stanford. We stop here because Texas A&M is here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I could be pretty brief on this just because I, I think you alluded, Mark, to the, the pitching that Texas A&M has shown. I'm fascinated to see, okay, if, if that's who they are on the mound, um, yeah. And look, I think the answer is probably going to be somewhere in the middle of what they were last week and what they have been. Um, how does that match up against a Stanford offense that, look, if you if you haven't watched a lot of Stanford because it's West Coast games and you don't have the Pac-12 network and yada, 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 I get it. Um, but that, that offense is really good. Um, it's physical. It's an SEC offense in terms of physicality and athleticism. They are an SEC-style club on the West Coast. That's kind of the most succinct way I can put it. Mm-hmm. Um, they are not your stereotypical West Coast team. Um, A&M is going to have to be in a, in a hypothetical winners bracket matchup or regional final. A&M is going to have to to do enough on the mound to to at least slow down the Stanford offense. And to me, that's the the big question there for them. Yeah, and you nailed it. I, I think it, offensively, A and M, they're they're in great shape. It's just a question of which pitching staff do you get and if, which Troy Wansing do you get? I mean, he was so good. And, and what's his role and how do you stagger the, the rotation, you know, because Detmer really is, is kind of had his, had his struggles. Um, and, and they're so left-handed on the mound. So this will be, you know, an interesting deal to see how Fullerton and then potentially Stanford handle all of those left-handed arms. So very, very fun regional. I, that's one that I, I can't wait to, to, you know, dig into. And I do think that uh, A&M's got a great shot at this, especially if they play like they did, you know, in Hoover. You, you, by that, you mean you can't wait to stay up until 1 a.m. to see how those games <laughs> Yeah, it's it's happening, whether I'm whether I'm excited about it or not. <laughs> yeah, I've not seen – there's another page that has all the start times. The bracket I'm looking at does not have the start times, but I assume because that is the only West Coast regional that those are going it to is. start as, as late as ESPN can possibly put them on just to create its own window. So yeah. that, that, that has like 10 Eastern all over it. Yeah, um, it is. Uh, Fullerton and A&M is at 10 Eastern start. Yeah. Okay. So Stanford's playing the early game. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, one of the, you mentioned Detmer struggles. One other note in the press conference after the championship game, I asked Jim Schlossnagel if, if they're going to have to, given how well they got, they pitched other than Detmer for the week, mm-hmm. if they have to reevaluate Detmer's role. And he was pretty quick to say, yep. <laughs> Which, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and look, by the time you get to Sunday, like everything's on the table and having a guy as talented as Nathan Detmer still kind of in your holster later in the weekend is not a bad place to be. He will still have a role. I am confident in that. It just might not, you know, earlier in the season, even for some of his struggles, you would have just assumed, Hey, you're just going to start Detmer in game one, kind of regardless and just roll Mm -hmm. with it. Now it's a different, a different deal. When you look at Wansing and Lampkin and Johnston and Sadeo, he's got a lot of options now. It feels like, so we, we right. shall see, Agree. of course. Um, okay, we're going to move down the right side of the bracket. We've got the Nashville Regional hosted by Vanderbilt. They've got Oregon as the two, Xavier as the three. 
Eastern Illinois is the four. Mark, I will go ahead and lob this over to you to start. What are your impressions of this one? Um, you know, Vandy's just playing so well right now. I, I think that's the, the thing. You want momentum. The, the only concern is, you know, you often see th- sometimes teams make a deep run and they're just kind of exhausted so much energy during that tournament run that, that they're just not quite ready. Um, but but something tells me that Andy will be. Um, playing a, an Oregon team, or they won the Pac-12 tournament. So, obviously, another team playing well. In fact, all four of these teams won their conference tournaments. So, uh, I like Vandy in this, especially if, if Hunter Owen can give you, you know, a little bit more, you know, as he works his way back from 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 some arm trouble. This feels like, no disrespect, I'll walk it out and explain why I say this, so I'm not just slinging hot takes, but this feels like one of the more favorable draws for an SEC Mm -hmm. host. Yes, Oregon is playing well, but Oregon's been without its staff ace, Jay Stoffel, for a while now. Its pitching staff otherwise is very young. And look, they they stepped up big in a big spot at the Pac-12 tournament. Um, But a regional is a little different deal. Regional on the road, as opposed to in a neutral site environment, is a different deal. So that will be, um, although I guess it'll be a neutral site environment for some of their games, but, but you, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Um, so that, that is a concern there. Um, you know, I've been pro Xavier all year. Like I, I was kind of in the boat of like, that's a regional caliber club on talent. I just didn't know if the numbers were going to get there or if they were going to win the auto bid. So I like them as a team, but that being said, if they didn't win the Big East tournament, they might not have been an at-large club. That's just the reality. And then you've got a four seed in Eastern Illinois that hasn't been in a regional since 2008. And as a result, unless they have a transfer on their roster who's played in regionals before, they don't have anybody on their roster who's played in regionals before. So I think Vanderbilt has to be pretty satisfied with what it got in terms of the draw. And I look for this to be uh, one that Vanderbilt handles, especially if they play as well as they did last week. Yeah. Uh, we will move to the left side of the bracket now. Um, number five overall seed LSU. They've got Oregon State as a two. They've got Sam Houston State as a three, and they've got the Tulane Green Wave, one of the uh, one of the biggest Cinderella story. Mm-hmm. Feels kind of weird to think of Tulane in those those terms, but the biggest Cinderella story of conference tournament week: uh, a forty loss Tulane team winning the American Athletic Conference automatic bid. Uh, Mark, what is your your snap reaction here? Well, I, I'm curious to see how LSU structures its pitching staff, the the rotation. It's going to be Skeens, Floyd, and Hurd in some order. But do you go ahead and throw Skeens in the opener? Um, and the reason I say that is four weeks now, three of those four, LSU's lost two out of three. So they're not hitting in with a lot of momentum. I do think that um, you, you would hate to, to throw – throw somebody and not get that good start. And then it really sets you up. You used all your key bullpen guys just to win that first game. Um, I kind of, I kind of expect them to throw skeins and you wouldn't believe it, you know, against a 40 loss team uh, that you would need to throw your, you know, your pitcher of the year, but I kind of think they will. So that to me is, is fascinating. Just, just from a strategy standpoint, but the other part of this is LSU is going to hit so well. Oregon State's a, a club. They, they gave up a lot of runs in their two losses in the Pac-12 tournament. That is not a place to go if you're struggling on the mound because Tommy White and Dylan Cruz and those cats, they will hurt you. So I, I, I think it's a pretty good matchup for, from an LSU standpoint. There's just plenty of storylines. 
was the pun intended on cats considering they're the tigers <laughs> yeah i'll try to work them in where i can in addition to going on to in the pac-12 tournament giving up a bunch of runs one of the reasons for that uh, oregon state's kind of beat up on the mound uh, i've not done my own original poking around on this but in a conversation having with, with mike rooney it looks like you know sellers and Kamats, their two top starters really the only two guys who took the ball with any regularity in the rotation are both there's some question about their health mm-hmm. and, if, and if they're not available like wolf i mean oregon state's got a good bullpen but you're really asking a lot of that bullpen if you don't have any starters you can depend on in that uh, in that particular way otherwise you know sam houston's a team that i um lsu played in round rock and blew them out so there's some comfort there i think it's a comfortable matchup for lsu having that in their back pocket and on the point about lsu's pitching i just think you have to pitch off schemes like i get that you know you want to make sure you get that game one win but man i don't know like i just it it just yeah and i'm firmly on team i know i know there are some exceptions like i'll allow for that but i am firmly on team if you're a host team pitch off your ace you're there to win a regional not to win two games or one game or whatever um and and furthermore in that four you know in in that one four game floyd and and herd's issues are not stuff it's command but tulane is a pretty free swinging team I mean, their best bat is is T.O. Banks, who struck out more than 75 times this year. Um, you're going to get some swing and miss from from Tulane, even if you're not really in the strike zone. And mm-hmm. so considering that's the hangup with, with guys like Floyd and Hurd, like I'd still feel pretty comfortable throwing them in that opener. Now, it does open you up to some criticism if Tulane, even if they play you tough, you yeah. start to have to answer some difficult questions. But And I understand that you know LSU in the postseason is a cauldron. Difficult questions will be asked of everyone involved if they don't thrive this weekend. Um, mm-hmm. But I just think your best bet to win a regional is to save schemes for for a more difficult matchup in the winners bracket. Yeah, and 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 it is fascinating. I, I think the concern is not that you will lose the game to Tulane; it's that how many arms you will have to burn. Right. That that would be my concern. That that yeah, you're going to need later because Skeens as great as he is he's going to give you six or seven he's not going nine not not typically because he strikes out so many guys and and Floyd's a similar kind of kind of guy so you're going to need you're going to need your your top arms out of the pen for those games so it's it's interesting hey everyone we're going to take a quick break from our discussion to hear a couple ads from our sponsors that regional is paired up with the Lexington Regional, one of the more, to me, one of the more well-balanced regionals mm-hmm. um, in the field, uh, which is, you know, a tough break for Kentucky as, as a host. But so they're hosting. They've got West Virginia as the two, Indiana as the three, and Ball State as the four. Mark, what do you make of this one? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that uh, Kentucky has a, a challenging opener with Ball State. There there are easier ones out there. So getting off to a good start, a lot of excitement for, you know, being able to host a regional, but it's a veteran team. I mean, they'll have some, some younger guys uh, probably on the mound. You're going to see Smith probably, but I think the, uh, they're a, they're a club that's been able to kind of keep their composure and, and play. I don't know. I don't know if above their heads is the right word. Cause that's kind of negative connotation, but I think they've maximized their talent and, and and this is where that gets harder to do as your opponents get tougher. 
So it'll be interesting as you as you see them match up with with West Virginia, who who has faded really the last few weeks. I mean, we had them in as the national seed, so you you understand the talent they're bringing in, but but they're kind of like South Carolina; they're just trending in the in the opposite direction. And and then Indiana's a club that's been pretty consistent all year. They've been kind of in that in that range. I mean, we actually had them hosting, you know, maybe what six weeks ago. So very. Uh, some clubs that have had a lot of success should come in um, feeling feeling like they can win a regional. And, and so Kentucky's – there are no easy easy uh, games in this one, to your point. I, I think this is one of the more um, competitive uh, quartets that we have. Yeah, there, there are certainly three teams you can see winning this regional. And I don't mean disrespect to Ball State, but – I mean, heck, maybe, you know, you, you win the first game, you're, you're in business, I guess. But, mm-hmm. you know, Kentucky will probably see Trenner O'Donnell. That's Ball State's mm-hmm. ace, and he's really good. ERA under three in a year when ERAs under three are hard to come by, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's been really, really good. So that's a tough matchup there. And then you mentioned it. West Virginia and Indiana are both teams that at various points of the season look like they themselves could host. West Virginia tied for the Big 12 regular season title. Indiana finished only one game behind Maryland for the Big 10 regular season title. Uh, you know, Indiana could have in some world been a two seed, very easily could have been a two seed. So um, it, it's that's going to be tough. But I, I'm with you on Kentucky generally that I like that they're a veteran bunch. Um, they, they've punched back from adversity, right? We thought they were really fading. And then, hey, they come out and sweep South Carolina. And, and I get that South Carolina, that was kind of the start of their skid. And they were hampered by injuries. But that's what you should do. You should take advantage of a team that's hurting like that. And so Kentucky did. And really punched back and, and put themselves in position to, to be hosting this regional. So I think that's a group that look that they may or may not win the regional, but I, I would be surprised if they come out flat. I think it's a team that's really going to be ready to uh, ready to go ready for this opportunity. Yeah. Um, the Vanderbilt regional is paired with the Stillwater regional hosted by Oklahoma state. We will, we will skip past that one. No sec involved there. We switch back to the left side of the bracket a regional hosted by Auburn. One of the one of the places that we will be, or that I will be this weekend, um, along with Tuscaloosa, which I'm a bad host because I forgot to talk about. T- we'll clean up Tuscaloosa at the end. Apologies to the tide. I was going to remind you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I appreciate that. Yeah. 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 I, here and here, I was doing this because I thought it would be less confusing, and yet I, I still goofed it up. So we're coming, Tuscaloosa. We're coming, Crimson Tide fans. I promise. We'll get to it. Right now, we'll talk about Auburn, one of the two regionals where I will be this weekend. Hosted, of course, by the Tigers. Number two seed, Southern Miss. Three seed, Samford. Four seed, Penn. Um, another one that has some difficult aspects. This is not, I would say, the, one of the more difficult ones. However, again, there are some difficult aspects to it. Southern Miss, obviously, is a program with pedigree. They expect to, to win. This Southern Miss is not as good as last year's Southern Miss. Um, and Auburn might, will most likely catch a break. I assume Tanner Hall will throw in game one against Samford. So that's a, a break there for Auburn that they're not probably not going to have to deal with with Tanner Hall in a winner's bracket game. Um, you obviously have the element of Scott Barry, head coach at Southern Miss, retiring at the end of the season. So does that provide some sort of emotional lift or something else there? Like that kind of stuff can can play a role. You know, Sanford is a three, famously won a triple header in the SoCon championship. Mm-hmm. Um, crazy stuff there. Uh, is that is that a binding agent for that team? Or they, you know, is that something that kind of brings that group together? And And then Penn, I think, of the SEC hosted regionals, maybe the most difficult four. Like no, you might I think not it think, is. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you might not think that based on the fact that it's the Ivy League champ, but but consider the following. And Mark and I did a piece on like regional superlatives. 
that you can read some of these takes on that'll be up by the time you listen to this, that, you know, Penn has a rotation. All three guys have ERAs of 309 or lower. Um, they all strike out more than a batter per inning. They all have opponent batting averages of 220 or lower. Owen Cody, one of the three starters, is transferring to Virginia at the end of the season. That tells you how talented he is. Virginia does not recruit bad players. And then on the position player side, they have, you know, starters who are transferring to places like Texas and Texas A&M and Duke and Virginia Tech. And so you get the idea that, like, this team is extremely talented. And I didn't even mention Eli Trope, one of their relievers, fastball up to 97 miles an hour. Carson Osmer, their closer, like a low slot kind of, you know, joker guy who has, you know, walked a 30 to four strikeout to walk ratio in 20 some odd innings, like just pounds of strike zone, everything moves, all that stuff. That's Auburn is going to have to play well to win that game. That is certainly not a game Auburn can waltz into. And considering some of the inconsistency Auburn has got on the mound, as good as Tommy Vale has been, Tommy Vale, assuming that's who starts, it might not be. Nobody on Auburn staff is immune from the type of game where things just get out of hand on them. We've seen that too many times this year to feel any differently. So that's one of the reasons why I'm starting my weekend in Auburn is because I'm really fascinated to see that one four game. Yeah, that's a good point. I do think that, you know, Penn, they opened their year at South Carolina and they had two one run losses. Uh, One of them was one to nothing. Uh, And then the other, the other game was competitive. I think it was a three run game. So, They've been to an SEC venue. They've been competitive. They could have won those, you know, t- certainly two of those games. So they'll they'll be confident going into Auburn. Now Auburn's a team that has played so much better baseball down the stretch, and because of that, they should even though they they didn't stay around in Hoover as long as they'd like, uh, they got to be feeling really really confident as as they host, which is you know they're going to get one of the best two seeds. Southern Miss was that they. they they could have – we talked about this with Campbell. Um, you know, that's one of the best two seeds out there, um, along with, say, Tennessee and A&M. So I think that, you know, and then you have Samford, who's just an unbelievable story. They get rated every year in the transfer portal. And then Tony David just figures out, hey, we're, we're still a good team. We'll, we'll get by in spite of that. And look at what he's done. He's got them, got them in postseason. You mentioned the three games in one day. I'm actually going to talk to him shortly and have a story on D1 about that. Um, so it's it's it, there's a lot of storylines in this one too. And I do think that that'll be a good environment. I'm I'm excited for you to get down there. Uh, it'll be packed. Uh, it'll be a it'll be a rowdy uh, a rowdy time uh, on the plains. No doubt, and that's something that that really they should get a lot of credit for this program now is that, you know, Auburn hasn't always been the place and the results dictate this, of course, but Auburn hasn't always been the place that you associate with rowdy big SEC mm-hmm. crowds, but that's mm-hmm. changed and they're really yeah. drawn pretty well. And they've got a lot of excitement around that program right now. And, and why the heck wouldn't they? So hosting once again, that regional is paired with the Clemson regional, uh, well, hottest team in college baseball there. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, they're just, I guess, never going to lose again. They haven't lost since April 28th. I think it is. They haven't lost a series since like the last weekend in March. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just really rolling right now. Tennessee is the two seed there. And there's a lot of interesting stuff here for me. The Tennessee Clemson potential winners bracket game looks like it could be an absolute blockbuster, yep. especially if you consider Chase Dolander could be on the mound for that one. And maybe Caden Grice for Clemson. 
Maybe came Rice for absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. That's that's a blockbuster there. Uh, Tennessee's first game is against Charlotte, and you know if Andrew Lindsay starts that game for Tennessee, that's a matchup against his former team. Andrew Lindsay was at Charlotte in 2021, so a lot of interesting stuff there. Lipscomb is the is the four. A little bit of an upset that uh, Lipscomb not going to Vanderbilt yeah. <laughs> as as a four seed. They could walk to that game basically, mm-hmm. um, just right down the road. So. Uh, th- this regional of, of the two with, with A&M or Tennessee being the only two non-hosts that got into the field, uh, this regional strikes me as the more interesting of the two just from top to bottom. Yeah, that, I, I really hope we get that Saturday night, Clemson, Tennessee. I know there'll be a lot of orange there too. Um, Tennessee has been a team that just has struggled on the road. And, you know, if they go and win a road regional, all is forgiven. Okay, that, that's the way you you stomp on a, a, a narrative by going and doing the opposite. Right. So I, I, I do expect that to be a really fun regional. Tennessee has some uh, has some players. They're probably I would say they're more talented than Clemson. They just haven't had the result. Clemson is just playing that with such a such a belief and, and confidence that they're going to be a handful, especially at home. So, but again, that that's fascinating. If, to me, this is the best potential Saturday matchup. That, that's the one I'm most excited about. Yeah, I think it's. I, I think that's um, it's certainly on the table. Just when you consider the talent of Tennessee, how hot Clemson is, mm-hmm. hard to ask for a whole lot more there. We'll flip to the right side of the bracket here, bottom right, um, paired up with the Terre Haute Regional, which features Indiana State, Iowa, UNC, and Wright State. That's also just make a note that that regional strikes me as 100% going all the way to Monday, going to be very competitive. So uh, make a note of that one. But the Terre Haute Regional is paired with Fayetteville, the number three overall seed Arkansas. They're with two seed TCU, three seed Arizona, four seed Santa Clara. Before, uh, Mark, I'll throw this to you first, but before we speak directly about Arkansas, what was your general, because I've not listened to the podcast you did with the other guys. I've not I read a little bit of what you wrote, but what was your general take on Arizona getting in as opposed yeah. to, I don't know, any of the other West Coast teams that were in the mix? Yeah, I was really surprised that a team that went 12 and 18 in the league got in over teams that won 17 and 16 games. It's just like the conference didn't matter. It was more about RPI and how you finished. Now, at the end of the year, Arizona, they, they played really well in the tournament. They also had a midweek win over Arizona State, which counts. That's an aggregate. It doesn't count in the conference standings, but the NCAA counts it. So their conference record was a little better than than their than what you see in the standings. But honestly, it was an RPI pick that and just um, you know trending you know at the end of the year, which to me, okay, well we we just played a, what a ten week season but we're going to decide the better team based on a, a week's tournament. I'm just, I'm just not on board with that. This everybody can look at it differently, but that, that that's kind of my view on it. As far as the rest of the, yeah. You want to respond? Yeah. Oh, well, I was just, I, I agree. Generally <clears throat> speaking, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, it seems like kind of a raw deal for, for USC, Arizona state, even UC Irvine, different league, but mm-hmm. in a similar conversation um, that, the regular season just kind of took a backseat to Arizona getting hot at the right time. And ultimately the one metric that ultimately was the metric that trumps all you, you wrote a lot about that. We've all talked about it these last couple of days, just kind of, it comes down to, Oh, there's this one metric that says Arizona is better. 
even though our eyeballs tell us something different. And the results, oh, by the way, tell us something different. Now, what I will say, okay, griping aside, um, Chase Davis is a heck of a player for Arizona. Mm -hmm. So, like, I guess, you know, getting to see him hit in Fayetteville, where the ball jumps typically this time of year, could be a real treat. Arizona's got a, a really good young pitcher named Aiden May, who's kind of fun to watch. Don't be fooled by his numbers. He's better than the numbers. So there are positives to it, but in the interest of having the best field and fairness and all of that stuff, it, it just felt a note off, you know? Um, and I don't, you know, I don't know that USC or Arizona state are better than Arizona. What I can tell you though, is that by most measures, they seemed like it, <laughs> they were at least more deserving in that moment. So anyway, mm-hmm. let that, that part of the podcast is over. Let's, let's now discuss kind of, the regional itself, Mark, go ahead. What are your, your reactions here? Yeah. I mean, Arkansas, it's for me, it's, do they have enough pitching depth? I love their frontline guys, but with Gage Wood struggling, uh, they're down a, they're down a guy in the pen. So how will they work this? Can you, can you afford to keep Hagen Smith and Hunter Holland piggybacking, right? To win one game or do you have to spread them out? And then who's going to fill that spot? Who's going to be able to, to pitch, behind them certainly Brady Tiger's going to take one but you know he's still not stretched all the way out so you're using McIntyre to fill him well okay so you're still short some arms and and I think that's that's the vulnerability I really like the Arkansas team and I think they'll figure it out Um, Dave Van Horn is he's he's had all kinds of issues all year with injuries and whatnot and they've they've been able to to find an answer so love their offense love their defense uh, certainly that ballpark, they're going to be heck to beat. Um, it's just, uh, you know, I, what happens after those first four, five, even six pitchers, it, should they need them? I, I think there's an opportunity, you know, remember the Stillwater regional last year where Arkansas was the two, mm-hmm. those Oklahoma state, Arkansas games that were just the teams trading haymakers for mm-hmm. the entirety of the weekend. There's potential for that between TCU and Arkansas. You know, TCU, as inconsistent as they've been, their high highs offensively are extremely high. I mean, when they came out of that opening weekend tournament at Globe Life Field, we thought mm-hmm. we might have a juggernaut on our hands. Right. Um, it didn't turn out to be that, but now they've turned it on again. I mean, they averaged, I think, 12 runs per game in the Big 12 tournament. They had two run rule wins. You know, they're swinging it really well right now. They're playing well. We don't know which version of TCU is going to show up necessarily, but man, if it's the version that's been swinging the bats like that, there's going to be mm-hmm. some high scores in Fayetteville. In Fayetteville. Yeah. There, there probably will be anyway, but if TCU is swinging it like that, I think we're going to see some some high scores. And that you know that might not be the worst news for Arkansas because one of the things that Dave Van Horn talked about as the week went on is that he felt like his offense wasn't really totally locked in right now. And so if there are high scores, it probably means Arkansas has come around offensively. And I think that's good news in the big picture, obviously, for the Razorbacks. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's clean up the one that Joe missed because he's not good at uh, multitasking. Um, that's the Tuscaloosa Regional, the other place I will be this weekend. Yeah. Alabama hosting for the first time since 2006. So congrats to, uh, to that group of, of players for just an incredible second half of SEC play making that run. Um, and then at last week at the SEC tournament, they sure looked the part. There were there were coaches, and, and Mark, you wrote about this. I'd, I'd, I'd um, urge anyone to go back and read it, just about the effusive praise that other coaches in the SEC were heaping on 
the interim head coach, Jason Jackson, but also the players in terms of this looks like a different team. Looks like a team that is, is just really believes in themselves and is playing free and is having fun. And it, it and their talent really shined through. The, the things that we'd heard about Alabama all year of like, hey, this is the most talented team they've had there in a long time. The, the depth of talent, especially on the mound, is, is insane. And, and we're still seeing that, by the way, right? I mean, don't forget, they're still without Grayson Hitt and Ben Hess, who we thought were going to be their two best pitchers. And yet they still have a plethora of options on the mound. Um, so just a, a magnificent accomplishment that we should celebrate regardless of how this weekend goes. The two seed there is Boston College. Three seed is Troy. Four seed is Nichols. Mark, what do you take away from this grouping? Yeah, well, Boston College is one of those one of those top two seeds. I mean, we had them hosting a regional as late as what last week. So it's, it's, they certainly have a case and could come in, Hey, Alabama, you stole our host. Cause you know, that those were um, teams in contending contention for it. And Boston college did win at Tennessee this year. So they, they do have a little bit of, you know, success against the, this conference. The thing about Alabama is they have, they have pitched pretty well in the, and it's not just starting guys cause they come in, in the bullpen with with some real dudes and, and that's the difference in in them and, and some of the other teams that we've talked about that just don't have the depth on the mound the quality depth well even without the two injured guys you mentioned they've been able to showcase that so that bodes well right if you have to play multiple games if you get in the loser's bracket that sort of thing they, they should they should be as good as anyone to, no, no one wants to do it but they would have the ability to come out of it I think the other thing to think about is Troy played a game in the stadium uh, earlier this year. They, they played Alabama twice. They played them again in Montgomery in the minor league stadium. Alabama won both those games. They were both close, but the they were, you know, you got midweek pitchers, and it's a little bit different, right? Especially you know a Sun Belt team. It's not going to have typically the pitching depth, but their weekend guys, you know, that they, they can compete. So that's going to be an interesting, interesting thing as well. And Nichols. They play an aggressive style. They will put pressure on you. You get in these environments and everybody's a little bit nervous and, and you want to look good and you got a packed house and somebody puts pressure on you and, and they can cause some mistakes. So it's that's a challenging from a styles matchup. Um, so I, I like I like this this pairing. I think it's 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 got potential to have some some either some upsets or um, or some really tight games that, that people may remember a long time. And, and keep in mind, this is the first time Alabama's hosted since 2006. They already announced uh, all the reserve seats are gone. This is another program that hasn't had the recent um, attendance numbers that, that some of the other teams in the league do, but they're fired up, and, and it should be a great environment in Tuscaloosa. There is a thing about, and I don't have the, the data here, but there is also a thing about teams that haven't hosted ever or haven't hosted in a while. There is a unique pressure mm-hmm. to that. So it'll be yeah. interesting to see how how Alabama, you know, and a team like Indiana State, frankly, mm-hmm. handles that type of, of situation. You know, BC is going to fight them, whether it's in a winner's bracket game or, or elsewhere. I mean, that's kind of a, you know, they are kind of a, a you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, pardon the crude phrase, but a little bit of a piss and vinegar team. You know, they're, they're, they do have that edge to them that, you know, stereotypically you would associate with a Northeastern team. Like they, mm-hmm. they play hard and they're not, and they're not as talented as others, um, but they, they get it done. And so they're, they're going to, they're going to play hard. Troy led by Shane Lewis, one of the best sluggers in the country. 
had a tough Sunbelt tournament. Um, so either he's slumping or he's due. Depends on how you want how you want to look at it there. Um, so that that's a name to watch on on Troy as well, and a team that, to your point, not only plays Alabama but tends to play a pretty difficult schedule just because of their proximity to SEC opponents. Mm-hmm. So a team that's not going to be wowed by the talent it sees on the field necessarily. They're going to feel like they can compete, and and they can. So uh, that are all 16 sites and the 10 that involve SEC teams. It, you know, I wrote this in the, the recap of the bracket reveal, just that there's going to be high expectations whenever you have, and there's going to be a lot of eyes on you when you get eight host sites. Um, you're going to be a little bit under the microscope. Um, there's going to be expectations of a lot of deep postseason runs and some SEC on SEC super regionals, things of that nature, but it's certainly not going to be easy. Like it never is. It's never clean. It's never as clean as we predict it to be necessarily. And that's what makes it a fun weekend, but it's also what makes it a, a terror to play and coach in, I assume. Just the, the, mm-hmm. the quality of, of competition across the board is just so high and so difficult to traverse. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess one thing I'll, I'll mention, you know, before we wrap, we had a great night at the live show, uh, Brock's Gap, uh, the Monday before the tournament, had a nice Nice crowd. We got to mingle and chat, chit chat with everyone, and talk about all kinds of stuff. Right? We we, we even talked a little college baseball, and it was uh, it, it was a nice evening. So thanks again to all the people who, who were who came out to see us, and and again to Brock's Gap for making it just an incredible um, night. It was a great venue, uh, great beer. It was it was just a, a positive experience all around. Yeah, here here I will I will second that. It was a Really good experience. Great to, to meet some folks. Uh, great to partner with Brock's Gap Brewing Company. Again, thanks to, to Jamie Cato, who owns owns a place. Thanks to Nick Gadson, who is their events manager, who served as our as our bartender down in our private space for the evening. Uh, fun fact about him, was recruited by Dave Van Horn to play baseball at Nebraska when when Dave was at, was at Nebraska. Uh, left Dave then left to go coach at Arkansas and, and asked Nick Gadson to follow him. And Nick was like, no, nah, I'm good. And he, he, we joked with him, and, and Nick joked that in hindsight, he probably should have gone with Dave Van Horn to Arkansas. Um, just kind of a funny funny connection there with uh, with one of the guys at, at Brock's Gap. So, yes, thank you to everyone who came along. Thank you to Brock's Gap Brewing Company. Our partnership with them continues. They will continue to sponsor the podcast. We will do another live show, uh, you know, uh, that, that time next year. Maybe a little different time of the week. Maybe a little different format. Maybe, you know, there are some other variables involved, but we are planning on doing something like that. So if you if you missed out, go ahead and preliminarily circle your calendar for around that time next year. And we'll obviously have plenty more details once the 2024 season rolls around. But for now, we need to finish up the 2023 season regionals this weekend. Hope you enjoy uh, keeping up with them. I will be in Auburn and Tuscaloosa kind of bouncing back and forth. Mark will be at the command center and home. No one does a better job of kind of keeping his head on a swivel and keeping you updated on everything that's going on like Mark does when he takes, you know, a command center role for D1 baseball.com. So I'm excited to follow along with his coverage. You should be as well. That is going to do it for this edition of highway to Hoover a production of sec extra at D1 baseball.com. Thanks to you all for listening. Thanks to Brock Scap brewing company for sponsoring this and every highway to Hoover podcast. Thanks as always to Mark for joining me and we'll talk to y'all soon. The Highway to Hoover podcast is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.